Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Welcome. This is Nancy, and I'm your host here at Aging Life Network. Thank you for joining us today. We have a great show planned, uh, talking about medical emergency from mom. What will they, will they know what she wants? We have a lot to talk about today. But before we get started, I want to share a little bit about this show. Here at Aging Life Network, you know, I, I talked about in the first show, I'd like to say it again, we're exploring all aspects of the world of aging. My target audience are those of you with people in your life that you care about who are aging and either need some assistance now or you anticipate they will need assistance in the future. You may be a child of an aging parent, a sibling, a friend, or a spouse. That doesn't mean you won't learn things you can apply to your own life, however. But my purpose with this show is to educate you, the listener, about the many varied topics you need to know about and understand if you are involved in the care and, and assistance of an older adult, or if you're going to be involved. I will be sharing this time with guests each week um, who are experts in the fields of healthcare, dementia, the law, medicine, finance, and so much more. My own background in social work, geriatric care management, fiduciary and court-related work, as well as financial planning, gives me an understanding of the complex and multidisciplinary work going on in the aging world. That doesn't mean I don't need to hear from you about the topics you most want to learn more about. So please email me and share with me what your interests are. I will find the smartest people to talk about that subject. This show is for you, so let me know what you need. My goal with this show is for you to leave this hour feeling more knowledgeable and confident in your ability to ask the right questions and seek out the right help. I want what you want, and that is to maximize the quality of life for those you love. So let's get started. I have some very special guests joining me today as we talk about another serious subject, making sure you are prepared for a medical emergency if and when one occurs. Now, the name of the show is Medical Emergency for Mom. Will they know what she wants? I need to ask you, do you know what she wants? Has she told anyone what she wants? You know, a medical emergency, as, I, as I've said in my description of the show, is never expected. It's always disruptive. And these days, because of COVID, people are much more conscious of the potential of an emergency. And so when that occurs, I, I can tell you that there is a lot of fear, confusion, um, commotion, uh, panic that occurs. And for those of you, even those of you who lived with, live with your loved one, the amount of emotional uh, distress that's going on for you leaves you um, in a very difficult position when 
people are suddenly in your home and wanting to know a lot of information very quickly about uh, the person that they're there to see and treat. So I want to know if you're prepared. And by that, I mean, um, do you know what your loved one wants? Is it in writing? Um, Are you able to share it quickly and efficiently? So I'll be talking with two guests here today who uh, will share with you what they need to know um, in the event of a medical emergency so that they can provide your loved one the best quality of treatment, quality of care, and the treatment and care that your loved one really does want. Um, they're assessing very quickly if it's a you know, significant event like a stroke, heart attack. Um, you know, I'll let them address the kinds of scenarios that they see. And if you're living at a distance, how do you engage in this process? It, are they depending on you to tell them things over the phone? How do you connect? How do you contact them to find out what's happening so, um, so let's get started. Um, my first guest, Rose Martinez, is um, leads the emergency community emergency response team in the city of Rio Rancho, New Mexico. She's the special projects coordinator, and she works within the emergency management department at um, the fire rescue team in that city. She's been with the city for nine years and um, she's here to talk today about the experience of the EMT um, arriving at the home and what goes on there. Um, Rose, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, I asked you here today because I want our listeners to understand how important it is that those rescue personnel, the first responders who enter a person's home, and that usually that might include assisted living, a retirement community, or their home. When paramedics enter the home, they need certain information immediately and other information pretty quickly, particularly when the patient is an older adult. I want our listeners to not only understand how important this is for your personnel to do their job, but I want them to hear what information you would recommend they have ready for you when you arrive. Um, so can you, in, in that regard, can you first share with us what immediate information they need when they're entering the home, whether it's to do CPR or, you know, Um, you know, you tell us some of the scenarios that you see. Um, Some of the things that we suggest, um, and and this comes from our first responders, things that are helpful, is having an emergency, we call it list, an emergency list either on your fridge or right at the front door, maybe taped to the front door, uh, along with your picture on that list. Um, And on that, we would like to see uh, meds you're taking, um, any allergies to medications, um, any end-of-life directives, and definitely emergency contacts. You know, um, I laugh when you say on your refrigerator. People are often surprised when I tell them that first responders, it's become just 
sort of a practice that materials are kept in the kitchen, either taped to the fridge or even in the freezer. They look in the freezer for the the tube of, um, you know, information. Uh, is, is that not the case typically? Yeah, it is. You, you definitely just want to have it in a highly visible trafficked area. So, on your fridge is always a good idea and that most people tend to look for a note or information there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a home, as well as right at the front door, right when you're coming in, um, mm-hmm. you know, they look to either side of the door. So, Okay. And um, before the show, I was telling you, it's, it's a great idea to have a picture. Um, as I heard one time, there was a caregiver taking care of a woman who had pretty significant dementia. And the caregiver had a heart attack and the, the, uh, the person, and she was older, the caregiver was older. And so the, the uh, first responders didn't know whether they didn't know that that person needing CPR was um, not the person on whose information was on the fridge. Right. So a picture's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's helpful. And um, I also spoke on emergency contacts uh, for, um, you know, in case to call in case of emergency. Um, And we suggest that you have two, two contacts on there. One, Mm -hmm somebody locally that can come quickly if you need them to come and, you know, if you want them to come be there with you, as well as somebody um, not in your local area, should there be a natural disaster, um, anyone close by is likely going to be affected by that as well. So somebody out of the immediate area um, that they can contact should they need, uh, should they have any further questions or to let them know where you're at. Or if someone needs to be moved quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, how about um, the issue of DNR, um, DNR, DNI? Um, what kind of information is, is required if right. a person doesn't want to have CPR? The only, um, the only thing as a, as a department that we look for, whether there is a DNR or a DNI or not, we, we don't, um, you know, th- that's, that's a personal decision that's made by the actual sure. citizen. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if you do have any end-of-life directives, um, they need to be included um, either taped to the, to the back of your list or pinned right next to your list, um, clearly visible of your wishes. And does it need to be an original um, it just needs to be a um, certified copy. So I think I think uh, it can be a copy. It just needs to be certified. Okay. Um, and many states um, now have uh, other types of forms that provide additional information. Um, some states call it a post uh, physician's order for life sustaining treatment. Others call it most medical order. Um, Are most first responders familiar with those orders and will they follow those if there's no CPR? I mean, no DNR. Yes. Uh, Again, that's, that's uh, that falls under the end of life directives. And 
So whatever uh, the individual's preference is, uh, a most or a, a DNR or a DNI, um, it just needs to be posted visibly uh, so we know your wishes, uh, whichever way you decide to to um, go with that. So, um, so explain to us why um, it's important for those first responders to understand the health conditions of the person, the medications they're taking, uh, what their wishes are, all of that. Why is that important? Well, well the, one of the main reasons is um, should the individual have any allergies to medications? Um, it's very important. We don't want to um, administer anything that would... Uh, be counterproductive, as well as um, knowing which medications you're on so that you're not given anything that's also counterproductive uh, to that medication. So something could be counteractive or yes. um, create more of a problem. Yes. Sure. Um, and is there a need to know who healthcare decision makers are at that point? Or would that come later in the ER in terms of, you know, if there's a healthcare power of attorney, a decision maker, an advanced directive, um, a surrogate, and is it helpful for them to know if the person, if the patient's not able to speak? Yes, it's on their um, emergency list. They should have, um, if, if the, if the patient is, uh, has dementia or Alzheimer's, um, it should be stated on there. Um, we suggest that it should be stated on there. So, and then the emergency contact that they would call for any directives, the power of attorney, um, and that sort of person. Sure. What happens if none of that information is available in the home? Um, they will treat the patient um, as per standard operation, standard operating procedures. So they they will. Um, I think a term that I hear often is full code. So they will do everything, you know, necessary. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you seeing more older persons um, putting information like this in their homes? It, it has become more uh, prevalent. Uh, I think awareness is, is a little more at the forefront, especially these days with COVID going on. So, um, yes, we are seeing it more and more people being aware of what needs to be posted on their emergency lists. Sure. And... Um, Let's talk about technology a little bit. Uh, more and more, you know, Apple has a health vault. Um, there are more apps coming online where people can put all of their information. I don't, are, are you running across that? Are there things that we need to do to help first responders understand how to access those apps? Yeah. You know, um, you, in my in my line of duty, I, I have not come across that that option. Um, of course, mm -hmm. we also suggest that in your emergency kit, if you are able to have a flash drive with all your information on it um, as well, uh, mm -hmm. with you with all medications, doctors, phone numbers, um, diagnoses, and 
um, we all we suggest that that that's a good option as well. So um, your 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 folks do have computers that they can use thumb drives with. Yes. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Um, that's very helpful. Okay. And I think, um, you know, I also think about people that are out in the community. I mean, we, we talk about people in their home, but in the community, I, um, you know, people have emergencies out there as well. What should people have with them? Something in their wallet, glove compartment? Yes, um, the same list that you either put on your fridge, uh, that information, you should also have a copy in your, you know, keep it in a Ziploc bag in your wallet, fold it up, um, should something happen to you while you are out and about. Okay. Okay, well, I know that you um, have some interest in talking also about um, evacuations and you know given what is happening in this country right now with fires and floods and all sorts of things um, I think it would be pretty helpful for us to talk briefly with you about that what to have and uh, but I need to go to break shortly and so when we come back I would love to hear a little bit about that from you Um, If you'll just stay with me just for 90 seconds, we'll come back shortly. This, okay, can you do that? Yes. Thank you. And this is Nancy uh, with Aging Life Network, and um, we'll be back in just 90 seconds. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask and help you understand the maze of options their network of life care professionals available to you through hipaa compliant video conferencing and calls will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems aging life networks online educational center aln academy offers 24 7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families through podcast interviews with senior care experts articles and live webinars aging life network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hi, this is Nancy, and we're back. And before we move on to talk about, um, I think, uh, another important piece of a medical emergency, and that's the evacuation piece, um, I do want to say that um, all of the things that Rose is talking about, I would recommend that you buy an eight and a half by 11 white envelope put in very large letters uh, from for medical emergency purposes or for EMTs. Uh, put your contact person's name on the front of that envelope if you want. And then all of that information, um, a, a list of your medications, a list of your diagnoses, all the contact information, uh, what your allergies are, all of that. Um, get put into that envelope and taped on your refrigerator and it'll all be there when needed. So that's my two cents. Um, So Rose, um, again, we're seeing a lot of emergencies around the country and older adults um, are, and, you know, families live at a distance. And so talk to us about, when uh, a different kind of an emergency, an evacuation occurs, and what is it that older adults need to have ready to go? Thank you. Um, Yes, evacuations are are very important uh, to be ready for. And so um, I I often tell uh, people to start uh, by creating a support network. So a trusted family friend, family, your power of attorney person that makes decisions for you, um, somebody that's living with you, create your plan of who you're going to call in in these instances. And like I said before, uh, make sure you have somebody that's not locally because likely that evacuation is going to affect everyone locally. Uh, So let's get somebody a little out of the area uh, that you can call uh, or somebody can call on your behalf. And... um, a couple of things that people often forget are to make sure that there's an extra key to your to your house that can t- be taken with you quickly. Uh, I often say put it in your emergency folder or envelope. And um, should you have to shelter in place, make sure that you have emergency emergency supplies and um, and know that how to administer your medication. So. Um, mm-hmm. Another important thing is if you undergo routine treatments administered by a clinic or a hospital, um, get be familiar with their emergency plans and work with them to identify backup service providers. So um, the, the other thing that often gets uh, kind of not forgotten, but uh, if you have a communicated communication uh, dis- uh, related disability, note the best way to communicate with you. So if you are hearing impaired, um, Mm -hmm. have a notebook and a pencil ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, one other thing is um, if you have pets or service animals, uh, not all shelters accept uh, pets. So plan for alternatives like calling the Humane uh, Society or your local animal control to find out what their emergency plans are with those. 
Right. I, I totally agree. I think it's important on your contact list that you add information, not only information about your pet and who will care for your pet if you're um, being taken from your home in the middle of the night uh, and you may be hospitalized for multiple days. So you want arrangements for your pet, but also make a note about um, where your pet, particularly cats, hide. Uh, when they're scared, because people, you know, need to find them. Um, the other thought I had is that, um, you know, back to, um, I'm jumping back, sorry, back to the med- medical emergency. If if um, paramedics are called as a result of um, some kind of life alert system in the home, um, that system that you contract with can keep information for you. And so I recommend that people put a, um, a key, a little key box outside their home, attached to the home with a key inside, and there's often a code. And, uh, and that way, they don't have to break down the front door to get into the home. Um, the... Um, the alert company can let them know what the code is and they can get a key to get in the home and get to you as quickly as possible. So That's a great suggestion. Yeah. So Rose Martinez, um, thank you so much for um, being with us today and talking about this first piece of the emergency. Um, it's important information. And I think that, um, you had information that you could provide to me if people are interested. Um, they can email me, right? Did you mention that to me? Website. I have a website that has a list that can um, that's provided by FEMA, and um, it's got that's got a lot of good information on there. Um, oh, can you tell us what that site is? Yes, it's www.ready.gov forward slash seniors. Very good. Great. We Thank appreciate you, that. For having us on the show. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks. And please stay while we talk with our next guest. Um, thank, thank you, Rose. So welcome, uh, Dr. George. Naomi George um, has, um, God, and you look so young in person for having done all these things. I have to tell you that. But she is now uh, an assistant professor of emergency medical and critical care medicine and researcher at the University of New Mexico. She comes to us from back east where she received her medical degree from Columbia, her master's in public health from the Harvard School of Public Health, and she completed her fellowship in critical care medicine at Brown University. Uh, where she actually worked um, in Boston, I believe, right, um, at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital. She's from Massachusetts originally. Her area of interest, um, I'm told, is geriatrics and palliative care. She, wow. um, right? <laughs> Nancy, that, that's quite an introduction. Thank you. I wanted- okay, I was going to go on, but I'll stop. No. Um <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And um, where, um, you know, New Mexico is really um, very lucky to have you. I know that you also have practiced in the emergency room, and I believe you still do some work in the ER. Is that correct? 
Yes, I work um, clinically now at the University of New Mexico in both the emergency department and the intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wanted to, to thank you as well. It's really a pleasure to be on the show with yourself and Rose and talk a little bit about topics affecting older adults, um, which, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. I'm quite passionate about. I know, and and as I we've discussed, I think there are many other topics that I know um, you would really um, add to the show if you can come back and speak more about. I think we we absolutely need to do a show on palliative care. I think it's a a new area of. Uh, geriatric medicine that people don't talk about a lot and don't understand very well. But today we're here to talk about that medical emergency um, that mom or our friends might have. And, um, and I'm wondering um, what goes on for you when an older adult hits that door and either has information with them or doesn't? Sure, that's a great question, Nancy. And um, I can start by saying it's a really common question. So we know that there are more and more older adults living in the country. The community of older adults or the population is really expanding as the baby boomers age. And at this point, older adults, um, and by that I mean either those over 65 or 75, make up um, a disproportionate amount of the visits that we're seeing in the ER, probably about 10 million or more a year, more than any other age group of patients we see. So while the emergency Mm -hmm. department and emergency services maybe initially were developed back in the 70s to respond to crises like gunshot wounds or car accidents typically affecting younger folks um, and younger adults, more and more our practice is focused on older adults. Now, sometimes, you know, patients, whether or not you're 15 or you're 85, you may come in with a small thing like bronchitis or a cut that you know needs some stitches um but there's another reality too nancy which is that more and more common for older adults is what prompts the emergency department visit is a serious medical condition a medical crisis as you mentioned um and and these can be quite serious we know that in the last month of life over half of older adults are going to visit the emergency department and um, mm-hmm. their care will, will move from there. So um, I would just start really by answering your question to say that this is an incredibly common problem, one that as a community of emergency department physicians, policymakers, nurses, clinicians, we are thinking about this very hard over the past several years. The truth is that most older adults don't come with the information that would help us help them most. And there are a lot of reasons behind that. Do you know and what I, those reasons yeah. are? Yeah, <laughs> so I wanted to pause there and, and just see if there were any thoughts about mm. the enormity of the problem. But Well, um, yes, I mean, for at least, let's see, I would say nine years. Um, for at least nine years, we have had 10,000 people a day turning age 65. And that will continue for another eight years. So the boomers who go today are between, I don't know, age 56 and 74, I would say. 
um, those of us in that age cohort, um, that is really um, a significant amount of people. And I agree with you that, um, you know, all the numbers show that in the last year of life, there is more, there are more dollars spent on and time spent uh, with medical care in the last year of life than, than in, you know, any other category of people using healthcare. Um, and so I know that, and what I also know, uh, or what I've been told by healthcare providers, as you know, is that as you get older, you know, we're living longer, but we're living longer with chronic health conditions and we're living longer with um, a lot of medications. And so healthcare in an older adult is very complex. I think, Nancy, that gets to one of the main roots of why it's so difficult to have all of the information available that might help help us and help you or your loved one the most in the emergency department. It's the fact that there's some there are some simple things we can do to prepare, and, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that um, mm-hmm. and things we can all take up with, you know, either ourselves or with our families or loved ones. Um, but the truth is, these are very complex issues, and unfortunately, they can't be easily boiled down to um, a simple piece of paper. There are some Mm -hmm. system level problems that unfortunately as individuals, we don't have a lot of control over that um, mean medical information is distributed across so many systems that it can be difficult to have readily in a crisis. Now, if we're lucky enough to be part of a health system where our primary care doctor, or if we're a resident of a nursing home, the nursing home medical records are all unified with every local hospital that the EMS might bring us to. Um, That's wonderful and that helps uh, tremendously, but that's not the most common situation in our country. Most often medical records are spread out across systems. They may some be on paper, some electronically, and they're not merged in one common warehouse that's easily accessible by the doctor um, in the emergency department. And that is something that's difficult to remedy, but but Rose mentioned, you know, having a medication list. Um, and I would go further to say that um, if, a, if you're a loved one, having that medication list, having a picture on your phone, so that even if you're at work, if someone calls and says, you know, I'm taking care of your mom in the emergency department, what medications is she on? What medical problems has she had mm-hmm. that you have that? Um, just a picture on your smartphone. I've seen that come um, come in handy more often than I can than I can recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that type of that type of information, which I kind of refer to as facts, like the facts are I'm on this medication or I'm not. I have this medical problem or I don't. Um, those type of facts we can try to distill into simple pieces of paper or electronic documents that um, multiple people, not just you know ourselves as the patient, but loved ones mm-hmm. might have. Mm-hmm. Um, the other type of information, though, is a little bit harder to. Um, to solidify down onto a piece of paper for some people, and that's our preferences for care. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Right. And I mean, this is the moment when I might say that on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, I have a 20-page document, a free download called Values History. It was developed by an ethics professor at the university many years ago. 
and, uh, and she gave it to the community for use. And um, it that document asks some of the what ifs, some of the medical what ifs, but also a lot of qualitative questions. Um, and uh, yeah, I would recommend people do that. But you're right, there are all those other issues. What would you want? How much care do you want? And in what circumstances? I talk to people all the time about um, what they want in the future. And it's really funny because the standard answer is, well, it depends, right? It always depends. Right. right. That's such an important answer and one that I think we we actually um, can deal with and, and is something that a conversation we should welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say, Nancy, as well, less in the emergency department, um, where we know so little information about the medical crisis itself, right? In the emergency department, our focus is commonly stabilizing the situation, probably mm-hmm. not solving it, probably not curing it, but stabilizing the situation and collecting information. Now, in my role in the intensive care unit or the ICU, um, that's when the depends comes up. And I find myself sitting down with families um, weekly, if not daily, if not several families a day in the ICU, talking about those depends and sharing with families, you know, here's what we know after a few days of treatment. Here's what we understand about prognosis. Here's where we're uncertain. What type of information can I help provide to you if the patient can talk with me or to the loved ones and the family members if they're sitting in for the patient as a decision maker to Mm -hmm. navigate those depends how can we best choose treatments um, based on how you know your loved one would like to live and how they wouldn't like to live right important such important conversations and um, I'm going to have to go to another break but I want to talk more about that conversation and so many other questions that I have for you, Dr. George. So if you can stay right there and uh, my listeners, please stay right there. We're going to take a short break for 90 seconds and we'll be right back. Thanks. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. 
Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Thanks for being with us today. I'm here with Dr. Naomi George. Um, We're talking about medical emergencies and... Um, you know, it's so true that a medical emergency often extends beyond the emergency room and often uh, the person is in a critical care situation. They might be admitted, but they are still being, that emergency is still being managed um, by um, medical personnel. And so we were talking about the difficult conversations and decisions that need to be made often in those emergent times, and also the fact that um, we might have advanced directives in place, but, um, you know, the what-ifs come up, and people people also change their mind. Um, and so um, I'll let you get back to what you were discussing, Dr. George. Sure, yeah, I think... Um you know, as Rose was mentioning, and for paramedics and in the heat of the moment, I think knowing things like, um, should I attempt to resuscitate a patient by doing CPR or would this person prefer a natural death? That's what a DNR gets at. And it's such an important question, but it's really a small part of the puzzle because as we age and face medical crisis, there's a lot between the beginning of a medical crisis and in our last moments and our last breaths and what that time looks like um, and how people may prefer to live it. It's it's not an easy question, but it's an important question and people will have very different answers once you start talking about it. And the problem we face, I think, a lot in the hospital is that those conversations haven't been had. Um, would mom or dad want to live with a feeding tube? How would they feel about living in a nursing home if previously they could function at home? How would they feel about loss of independence? How would they feel about supporting, um, relying on the support of others for daily needs like feeding, dressing? Everyone might have a different answer to that. And those answers can help direct our care um, so that your loved one's care fits how they want to live that part of their life. You know, I think I wish as much as everyone else that there was a cure for everything um, and a treatment that would always restore function. But I think as a country, really, we have to face the reality that that's not true. And it's a conversation we haven't been having or that doctors especially have not been having openly with their patients. So I think the DNR is a wonderful start, um, not having a DNR per se, but having the discussion about whether or not you want a DNR. Right. Um, but then from there, what I find the most important is that we sit with our loved ones and talk about what matters most, either using a resource like Nancy's website. Another resource I like a lot, especially for older adults who may not um, be 
uh, primarily English speaking, is a website, Prepare for Your Care. It's just prepareforyourcare.org. And they've translated a lot of these materials that help guide us through these difficult conversations into multiple languages. Um, can be done at home and has videos. It's all done at a um, at a pretty easy level, right? You're not going to encounter medical jargon that you don't understand. Um or necessarily need your doctor to to go through it if you want to go through it alone or with mom or dad or a neighbor, whomever. But these types of in-depth conversations, they may or may not fit on a document, but when you're called by the doctor in the middle of the night to say, hey, we have a crisis here, you're going to know what that person really cares about. Correct. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, there's also a site called, um, there's an organization called The Conversation Project. Yes, and, an awesome one. <laughs> yeah, out of Bo- out of Boston as well, and so they also um, um, help you address having that conversation because you're right. You know, you can you can have the forms in front of you, but unless you're able to engage your loved one and get that conversation, and and um, you know, I heard a great story from um, a woman involved with the conversation project who told a personal story of her father going into surgery and when the risks were being explained um, she said to him what should I do if they if these things do happen and he said as long as I can watch football and eat ice cream you know do it (laughs) and so mid-surgery surgeon comes out and says we have you know we have this complication and she said, can he, will he be able to watch football and eat ice cream? And he said, I think he will. Okay, then do it. So I thought that was a great example of really being clear about what it is that you want. That's um, a wonderful example, Nancy. And what's so funny is that's a lot of people's answer. Football and ice cream, I think, are, are, are lifeblood uh, for a lot of Americans. And I'll, I'll sign up at least for the ice cream when I can uh, mm-hmm. green ice cream. You know, my, my decisions mm-hmm. may change, but yeah. football, maybe not so much. Mm, well, <laughs> you've got a lot of people feeling differently right now. But anyway, that's okay. Um, so you don't have time for football. Um, so, um, so you're having these conversations and you're also working with uh, physicians and, and talking with them about having these conversations yeah, and we found that physicians also need a culture shift, right? You may, I know a lot of patients who've come to me and said, you know, we had these conversations as a family and we knew what mom wanted, but the doctor we met um, didn't understand what we were saying or didn't want us to go that way. And so, you know, you may encounter um, physicians with a, with a different level of acceptance about the idea of, of not always pursuing the most heroic measures, but sometimes pursuing the most humane measures. And you may need to advocate for your loved one when that happens. Correct. True. Yes. I, I heard recently of a woman who, who knew, was pretty sure her husband's change in health condition was um, an infection of some kind. Um, the ER, they, the hospital was going to put him on a COVID floor and she had to fight really hard to not get him on that floor, to not have him go on that floor um, because they thought he may have COVID. 
you know, they thought the symptoms were similar. So it's true. You have to be your loved one's advocate. You have to know them, know what they want, and um, and and ask a lot of questions, uh, and not just simply, you know, take what you're being told. I can't agree with that more. I'll say for older adults in the emergency department, a common scenario is an older adult who maybe has some mild or moderate dementia and comes in with more confusion. Mm -hmm. And that can be a really difficult thing to sort out. Now, a lot of the times it's something as simple as a urinary tract infection. What I find and what I think a lot of other emergency room clinicians find is that the family members who've asked a lot of questions um, from from their mom or dad or whomever's doctor, well, what, you know, what kind of symptoms should I look for if I'm worried there's a urinary infection, for instance, or, you know, when should I, when should I be on the lookout? When should I call the ER? Those folks know what to talk to us. And that's the third type of information I was going to share with your listeners. They're the facts, right? What medicines am I on? What type of medical problems I have? Then there's the preferences. What do I really care about? And what do I really want to avoid? And then the third type is the situation or the context of the ER visit or the paramedic call. Um, If there's someone around, particularly in older adults who have some memory or cognitive issues, um, they may be even mild cognitive or memory issues, but when illness strikes, they can become very pronounced confusion. Um, that's dramatically different than what mom or dad has day to day. And the son or daughter or neighbor who's in touch and has been asking, well, how do you feel? I've been a little tired. The person who can report that to us and say, you know, there's been fatigue for the last week. We're a lot more likely to figure out, well, this is from, Mm -hmm. you know, an infection more than a stroke or or whatnot Mm -hmm. Um, and can help us piece together the puzzle of Mm -hmm. what's going on in that crisis. Um, Those three type of information are so valuable. They're probably the most valuable part of the care that we provide in the emergency department. And they all come from the family and the community. You know, that family member or friend might also know that that mom um, has not been taking their medications. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you're right or overdoing, you know, I had a 96 year old client who didn't, you know, he was pretty with it cognitively, but he was starting to age <laughs> at 96. And he was doing his own insulin. He insisted on it. Well, he overdosed himself one time. He was lucky he didn't kill himself. But um, yeah, those facts are important for the physicians to know. And I think one of the difficult things to navigate, which, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm probably not... Um, nearly as knowledgeable about as some of the primary care folks and mm-hmm. um, home health folks about how to support an older adult who wants to be um, as independent as possible um, and who doesn't want interference, but who may need a little support to do things like medication administration mm-hmm. um, and keep track of symptoms. And there are a lot of ways that that can be approached. I know that's something, you know, yes. I deal with in my own family. We, well, we have technology now for that. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. How do I, how do I help support my aging parents um, move mm-hmm. in their home safely up and down multiple flights of stairs? Well, I'll tell you, they're fiercely independent and that's wonderful. Um, and, and it's not my job to come in and tell them what to do, but it is my job to try to support them 
And then, you know, when I'm called by the doctors, if they're in the hospital, I can I can be a better advocate as well, knowing what matters to them, knowing how they're managing with the stairs. Well, how do they get up and down stairs? Well, you know, they go up and down on their butt. Okay, well, that's good to know, because now I know that patient wasn't ascending and descending the stairs on their feet and suddenly can't. I know they always couldn't, but they've been working around it. Right. And those are two different mm-hmm. types of problems. Mm-hmm. Yes, it it is very complicated. So having, um, we've got a couple minutes left, having um, that contact information sounds pretty critical so that um, either the physician can reach out to the family member or having the family member call the ER and just say, I'm here, here's my name and number, you know, or can I speak with the doctor or the nurse? Um, often you can reach the nurse and give some of that information that'll get communicated, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. especially during COVID. Unfortunately, a lot of hospitals are not allowing many or even any loved ones to accompany an older adult, which is a real Mm -hmm. challenge. Um, But being available by phone is is really critical. Yes. Just for those other qualitative, um, you know, what's been happening lately kind of conversations. Um, oh, well, gosh, there's so much more we could talk about, as you know. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what final thoughts should we give to our listeners? Um, will, will people know what your loved one wants in the event of a medical emergency? Well, that's really up to you. I think you've gotten some very good resources today, um, some suggestions on places to go to have conversations, to begin to document what it is that our loved ones want, to write it down. I think having things written down, having your advanced directives, having that medical emergency information that the EMTs, paramedics can then provide to the emergency room Um, calling the emergency room if you live out of town and really knowing that um, those ER docs are trying to put a puzzle together, really. Uh, Older adults are complicated. And so I do want to thank Dr. Naomi George and Rose Martinez for joining us today. What a great conversation. Um, Please come back another time. And um, any final thoughts, Dr. George? Um, Let me just say thank you again for having me on and talking about these issues. And I um, can't emphasize enough to your listeners, the Conversation Project, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm prepareforyourcare.org, wonderful resources out there. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and our values history on aginglifenetwork.com. It's a free download. So you've been listening to Aging Life Network and this is Nancy Oriola and you have a great week. I'll see you next Wednesday, same time, same place, or you can hear us um, on your favorite podcast channel on demand. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.